0: You are listening to a podcast taken from one of Radio Maria's many live programs. If you enjoy it, please consider making a donation or becoming a monthly supporter. To do so, visit www.radiomariaengland.uk. It is only through the generous support of our listeners that we continue to be a Christian voice by your side. listening to radio Maria and this is father Toby with the friar side um, now one of uh, our listeners um, emailed me in with a, a question re- relating to a comment that I made in a in a homily a few days ago where I said um, that it seems to me part of the the problem in the contemporary church is a, as a sort of a chronic um chronically low level of of religious education. And then this leads to a problem that people who have received a, a high level of education in other areas of their life, say like physics, other sciences, like maths, um, whatever whatever it might be. And they bring the kind of the level of intellectual sophistication that they have in their further studies into conversation with the level of um, sophistic- sophistication that they have in their in their religious knowledge. And their religious knowledge is found massively wanting. And as opposed to thinking, oh, well, maybe that's because, you know, I stopped learning about religion when I was age 12, or I never really learned it in any any structured way. And think, what, what might I read more? What might I learn more to bring myself up to speed on this? Rather, they find their, say, 12-year-old religious self um, lacking in the uh, in the in the dialogue with their graduate uh, physics self, and so they just dismiss religion as something infantile. Now, one of our listeners, um, you know, made the, the the pertinent observation. But you know, Jesus constantly speaks about being like little children. Um, Suffer the little children to come unto me, unless you become like little children. Um, so, is what I'm, I'm saying at odds with this? Well no because I think Jesus also um exhorts his disciples when he's sending them out to uh, be wise as serpents and and harmless as doves um and uh, and and Jesus clearly doesn't doesn't praise sort of ig- ignorance um, And he gets frustrated at times by the what what he perceives as the as the ignorance of his disciples or their failure to grasp what he feels they they should have grasped so, what is it that he's referring to when he speaks about being childlike? Well, I think he's referring to a disposition and a way of existing in relation to the Father, so to be childlike is to be is to be receptive um and and to trust in the in in the goodness of our parents and that should be our basic disposition with God the Father to be receptive to to what he teaches us and to trust in his in his goodness um, but the dynamic of of love um when we when we love somebody for their goodness uh, we want to know more about them we want to understand them better and that dynamic of love should um should drive us to 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 make the best use of our of our intellect um that we can in order that we might know the one we love the one who gives us life the one who is so good to us better um in that same homily that i was speaking about i mentioned the the writer frank sheed um frank sheed was a an, an amazing man he and his wife formed a, a formidable combo he um sort of honed his art of uh of religious apologetics on the on the streets in in australia an australian of irish background um and so he was able to to put sort of sophisticated religious thinking into the into the language of ordinary people. Um, In that way, a lot like C.S. Lewis, he came over to England where he met um, the equally remarkable Maisie Ward, uh, biographer of uh, St. John Henry Newman. Um, Together they founded the Catholic publishing company Sheed and Ward and I also believe the the Catholic Evidence Guild and the the two of them were a, a massive force for good. In the life of the church um and so i thought in the in the friarside over the next few weeks um we might go through uh a book that was really formative um for me by frank sheed um is called a map of life now the the first book i read by him which was really the first book of theology um i ever read uh, it's called theology and sanity um it's an absolutely fantastic book uh uh, it's definitely published by Ignatius Press it might even be published by some other catholic publishing houses as well um really really good uh but it's about sort of 400 pages so not really suitable for me to go through with you on the radio map for life is is much shorter and again available sort of pretty pretty cheaply to to buy and uh and i think a map of life is a is a wonderful um title for the book because you know, jesus is the way the truth and the and the life um but as i was saying in, in in my homily in my word for today yesterday um a lot of modern life is very disoriented we we run around incredibly busy um, but i'm not sure that we often know we're going to where we're going to um or why we're really doing it and uh, a question i would sometimes ask of people is if you were to reflect on your on your life and the way that you spend your time um does it really make sense um do the things that you spend your time doing um actually uh relate to the to the things which you value most and think are, are most Im- important um and the other question she ask as well is like where am i where am i going um also who am i becoming uh, what are the things that i spend my time doing um what are they what are they what are they making me um so let's just uh say a prayer that our, our reading uh through of this uh, book together might be might be fruitful um and might lead us into a into a deeper love and knowledge of god and so let's entrust ourselves to to our blessed mother who pondered um everything that she heard jesus say um, in her heart and in that way she was wise hail mary full of grace the lord is with thee blessed art thou amongst women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb jesus holy mary mother of god pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death amen so this is from frank sheeds a map of life The traveller through a strange country usually gets vivid impressions of individual things, but only a confused impression of the country in its totality. Um, We can think of that. like Imagine somebody who came to London, um, the capital city, uh, the most famous city in London. They came to London and then they, on the basis of going to London, they sought to, to describe what the rest of England was like. Um, if you visited the rest of England, you would realize that uh, characterizing all of England as being like London would be a massive mischaracterization. So he says, The traveller remembers this mountain and that stream and the other village, but how one is related to the other and the general winding of the roads that he has barely glimpsed cannot in the nature of things stand clear in his mind. And a map of the whole country Seen at the end of his travels may very well be full of surprises and is in any case a totally new view. In very much the same way, a traveller through life gets vivid, sometimes extremely vivid impressions of things near at hand, confused impressions of things seen at a distance or only heard of. But of the whole plan of life, no idea at all in his mind will be a jumble of facts tossed about in any order god sin church going disease sacrament, suffering the treason of friends hostilities death and the fear of death money and the loss of it god made man and so on without end but which of these things are big things and which of them are little he will not know with certainty the things that have come nearest to himself will seem big things. The remoter things will seem small. And if you think about that in our sort of contemporary education system, if you think about how much time we spend um, studying things that in the in the general scheme of things are, are quite small and actually which don't actually then after we've studied them have much um, bearing on the way that we that we live our lives and then think about how much time we actually spend studying what it means to be to be human or how to live or how to cultivate um good good habits um it reminds me uh, our education system in some ways of uh, a book by a, a fantastic and influential writer on me called mortimer adler and he has a a book and it's a brilliant book and it's called how to read a book and he points out that essentially our our education system has us learn how to read words and then a sentence um and perhaps even a paragraph but spends very little time teaching us how to how to how to read a book in its totality how to approach it so again there's a there's a bit of a a tendency in our modern life to um to focus on the on the very small, um, as that phrase says, to to miss the wood for the for the trees, and I think we see that um, as I might have mentioned you before. If you go into a bookshop um, on those incredibly fascinating on those tables full of incredibly fascinating books, as you first walk in, there will be all of these books that that um, claim to explain the course of human history. Through some tiny dimension of it, so you know, human history explained through a, um, a, a history of uh, like rice, or human history explained through a history of wool, human history explained through the, the workings of of the gut, human history explained through genomes, um, and they all explain some part of it, and might be present for for a for a lot of it, but none of no, none of these books are actually able to give us the the big picture um and i think many many people now with the the loss of religion and nothing which is really sort of coming to to replace it are missing a bigger picture and that's why there's increased levels of uh of mental health problems and of depression so he just where we left off she has made the point that the the things that we have most sort of time with the things that we encounter most will seem the big things and the things that we don't see so much of um they will seem small he says and of the relations of these things one to another how one thing agrees with or conflicts with another of all this merely by dint of living he will have only the most confused and uncertain impression. In fact, it may easily happen that a man who merely lives, and neither reflects nor is taught, does not even suspect relationships, but thinks of all things as accidents with no reason in themselves, save that they happened, and no connection with each other, save that one came earlier and one came later and it's when this happens that, that the world starts to become meaningless it's only when we see connections between things which is part of what religion enables us to do it's only when we see connections beth- between things that we start to understand meaning without without relations um when life is just viewed as a, a series of sort of accidents um it becomes meaningless and that's when you see then other fads arise like new age or as i became recently aware of the idea of of manifestation um which just seems crazy but people want to cling to something and so she in the in the face of this confusion proposes to try to make what may roughly be called a map of life but he says a scale map in which the principal natural features will be shown in their right proportions and the roads between them drawn in this map will not be of his own drawing he says fruit of his own experience of life nor will it be of any single person's drawing rather it will be the transcript of what god the author of life has revealed as to the meaning of the whole and the relations of the parts if you think that makes sense you know if you if you wanted to understand the um about a whole country would you visit um would you go and speak to a, a man who had lived his entire life in one small town in it or would you go and visit the lady who had say been an explorer and circum uh, navigated the whole sort of uh, country on, on a boat and then walked all over it um on foot um if you want to get the bigger picture um then go to the creator who sees all and the other thing she says about what he's going to do, as well as trying to give us a God's eye view map, he says, it's not going to be a demonstration. Maps do not prove, but only state. And there are only two reasons for trusting a map. One is the authority of the mapmaker. The other is one's own experience. When one has traveled the road with its guidance. And as he adds, the second is normally of less practical value, We need to be assured of a map's trustworthiness at the beginning of a journey. A map, therefore, must be accepted or rejected according to the confidence the map maker deserves. In this instance, fortunately, the mapmaker is God. And so in this effort to set out the plan of life, there will be no attempt anywhere to prove the truth of what is said, but only to state what according to the church he founded God has said. So in a sense this um, this book that we're going to read is not a work of apologetics um, Frank she did do a lot of apologetics apologetics is the is the arguing for the uh, the truths of the faith to those who do not hold them um but this book is uh, is presented to the to the believer who accepts the faith as true uh, but desires to see how all the parts of the faith Um, fit together so that's the uh, the end of his little introduction to the to the work Um, having spoken about trusting in the map maker and the way to go uh, let's have a little break for some music and listen to that hymn which we uh, cut off or cut short just at the beginning of this program but one of my absolute favorites um, I heard the voice of Jesus say sung by the Choir of Salisbury Cathedral under the direction of David Halls. You are listening to Radio Maria, and this is Father Toby with the Friarside. and we've uh, just started today um, Frank Sheed's uh, book, A Map for Life, and just in that opening introduction, he's he set out the the need to see the the bigger picture, um, and the bigger picture that we want to see is the uh, is the vision of God, and that this is not going to be an argument for the faith, um, but rather are showing how the things of the faith relate to, to one another so that we might make better sense of uh, of our lives here on Earth and what we're aiming for and where we fit into the cosmic picture of things. And so the first chapter is entitled The Problem of Life's Purpose. Um, and, and on that note, we might say, as I said at the end of yesterday's word for today about... Um, the need to ask people more questions if we want to have fruitful dialogues for them that that's something that that we can can say to people what do you think the the purpose of of life is and i think there'll be a lot of people who who won't actually have thought about it um but i imagine most people then will give you the answer um well to be happy and then you get into the interesting question of what it means to be happy um, but don't always be on the on the back foot as a Christian. We tend to to do that, but we should ask questions in a in an in an interested and sincere fashion of uh, of those um, we encounter. But we shouldn't be shouldn't be um, scared to to probe their worldviews a little bit because they're certainly not scared about probing our worldview. But this uh, this book is um is hopefully going to be part of uh, helping us see that our worldview is is coherent and how all the different bits fit together so he says to the detached observer man is something of a curiosity he lives in two worlds at once and this not as a being who belongs to one world and has simply got tangled up in another but as a being who belongs essentially to both of them God, who alone exists in his own right, who is all-knowing and all-powerful, who exists without the shadow of limitation, made all things. And then she points out, if we look at the types of beings that God has made, we can find that there are two broad categories. There is spirit and there is matter. And she says, spirit is being which has the power of knowing and willing and matter is being which has not these powers Yet there is a more obvious but less important distinction between them that matter can be perceived by the senses spirit cannot and of god's creatures there are some that are pure spirits that is angels with no material part and there are some that are purely material animals plants stones and the rest They have no spiritual part. But then between those two, there is you and me. There is man. And in man alone, spirit and matter are united. By our soul, we are spirit as angels are. But by our bodies, we are part of the material universe. Now, this makes us complex creatures um, and hard to understand. Um, and we find it hard to understand ourselves, and we can find it hard to understand why we do what we do. Sometimes we simultaneously have the experience of a uh, of free will, um, and at the same time, the experience of not doing what we want to do. Now, this is due to the 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 the, the sort of complicating um, fusion of uh, of body and spirit um, that makes us unique in the in the created world and also quite hard to understand so he says as has already been said we belong to both worlds by our essence we're not simply spirits who for the moment are tied down or tied up in a in a body that would be the the view of sort of plato um and many other people uh, and and i think increasingly sort of prevalent view today the idea that we we're, we're spirits Trapped in a in a body, and our bodies just um, shackle us. Um, but rather, as she says in the the church teaches, it's of our very nature to be a union of matter and spirit, or body and soul, as we often put it. And so he says, the soul of man is not more essentially a partner in the human compound than his body. But it is the more important partner um, so you go. like to be fully human we have to have a a, a body um, and, a, and a and a soul Now you can't be a human person um be born as one without having both, but nonetheless we recognize a a, a hierarchy and that the the spiritual the soul is more important and he says this for a few reasons in the first place the soul is the principle of life in the body it remains with the body so long as the body is capable of being animated by it and we can see this as he points out that when the soul leaves the body at the point of death the body starts to lose its integrity Um, the body corrupts whereas the soul continues in existence and he says in the second reason we can say that the soul is the more important partner is because it's the soul that knows and that wills. That is, it has the two faculties of intellect and will by which we can enter into a conscious and determined relationship with all that is. Such a being then is man. It is life as it concerns man That is the business of this map. And then he says, we'll understand the map better if we grasp its universal necessity. A man may very well say that whether there is or is not a divine revelation as to the meaning of human life, it is at any rate only of academic interest desired by none save the dwindling number who like things cut and dried and take comfort in the voice of authority. For the man who says such things, she says that we have to show that an acceptance of the revelation of God as to the meaning of life has a bearing not only upon holy living but even upon sane living. Um, and I think this is becoming more and more true that like when we've uh, abandoned religious practice on a massive scale, we don't just sort of lose the the way of of living in order that, in order that we might reach heaven. Um, we cease to live very well here on earth, things start to to fall apart. Um, and so he says, those who believe in such a revelation um, can help shape the, the revelation from God as to how to live here now in order that we might live well with him in the future in heaven. Um, he says that, that those of us who believe this, we can shape our own lives correctly and help our fellow um, human beings but those who do not accept the revelation even if they have the best will in the world well he says they can neither direct their own lives aright nor help other people save accidentally and within a very narrow field and from such people the world has little to hope and an immense amount of fear and into their hands the world is tending more and more to fall um, and we can think uh, about about that, especially in sort of developments in uh, in biosciences and biotechnology, the incredibly uh, sort of scary things that incredibly clever people um, are able to 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 do now, um, to get to the stage where potentially we could um, grow a, a baby in a, in an artificial womb outside of outside of a outside of a mother um, in essence sort of you know di- divorce um a uh, a child from from a, a mother in 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 the in the rearing in the first nine months of life um where we think that we might be able to to clone human beings where we've created technologies that might render human beings um redundant Uh, with with AI um, where we might be able to sort of replace human learning by computer learning all these things ingenious but why would you want to do them Um, and the reason people want to do them is because they've lost the sense of what the what the purpose of human life is and we now create technologies just to do things because we can but without actually any real realisation, I would say, of how such technologies are going to affect um, the world in which we all live. Um, So in the sense of needing guidance, uh, let's now take another break and listen to Guide Me, O Thou Great Redeemer. Listening to Radio Maria, and this is Father Toby with the Friar side, and uh, we just started this morning. Uh, Frank Sheed's book, "A Map for Life." Um, we're speaking first of all about sort of you know using the map that God gives us, taking a God's eye view. Then we'd spoken about the the human person's um, unique place within all of creation. Um, she pointed out that we can divide creation into the the spiritual um and the and the material and the spiritual is that which has the capacity to to know and to and to will um whereas whereas matter m- material doesn't have the ability to to know and when we're speaking about sort of knowing he means um knowing in the in the abstract sense and knowing in in terms of being able to uh, to to see the relations between things obviously you know animals are, are capable of 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 knowing um but it's in a in a more sort of instinctual way they're not able to to sort of you know sit back and reflect on their on their knowledge or you know create poetry or see um unexpected coincidences um, between things. So human persons are unique within the scheme of um of creation as being both spiritual and material. This makes us hard to understand. Um and then he points out uh that um though we are sort of it's of our essence, um it's of the very nature who who we are to be uh both spiritual and material, he points out how the the spiritual has a certain priority um it's more important in us first of all because it's the soul which gives life to the to the human person and when the soul departs the the body the body starts to corrupt um, but then it's also the the soul um which enables to do us to enables us to do those things which are most fully human um, what we might call our highest faculties which is knowing and willing as i'd said and and this was something which sort of aristotle and other philosophers had appreciated they saw that if you wanted to to see what what something was, was created for what it what its end for that then you should look at uh, what its highest abilities were and what differentiates it from the rest of creation and in, in man that's the ability to 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 know in an abstract way and to to be able to sort of will Independently of instinct, and so let's continue then um, with cheat just in the in the final few minutes that uh, that remain. so he's just said that sort of you know the the world ought to be scared of people who uh, who who dismiss God's revelation um, because neither are they going to live lives um, which lead them to heaven um but also they're not going to um live lives which which lead to to living well here on earth and as i said we can we can look at that with many of the technologies that we've created which are ingenious um but also quite inhumane at the same time so she says in one word the reason for the helplessness of such people both in relation to themselves and in relation to others is that they do not know what a man is and then somebody might rightly respond oh but you know there's biologists like they know far more about uh the sort of human human physiology um than uh than, than a than a theologian and other people might say oh well there's psychologists and they know far more about the way that we think than a than a theologian um and 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 so say well you know if you say that that knowing and willing is the, is the highest uh, sort of faculty of the human person, then surely the psychologist who studies such things, they know better what a, what a, what a man is um, than the theologian. Um, but she said that's wrong, because as you do not truly know what anything is until you know what it is for. Knowing what a thing is made of, even knowing whom a thing is made by, These things are but scanty knowledge, impotent of themselves to lead to fruitful actions. The complete knowledge of what a thing is, he says, demands a knowledge of purpose. And he says a a crude instance can make this sufficiently obvious truth still more obvious. Suppose a man who has never shaved, and suppose that he suddenly discovers a razor, He does not know what it is, but he discovers that it cuts, whereupon he uses it for cutting wood. He does not cut a great deal of wood, and he ruins the razor, leaving it fit only for the scrap heap. The point is that he has used it without knowing its purpose, and save by accident, such use must always be misuse. And in the face of the general proposition Yet nothing can be used aright until its purpose is known. The man who uses anything at all without such knowledge is acting blindly. He may mean well, but well-meaningness is not a substitute for knowledge of purpose and this sort of point and it's why children's stories and um, and fairy tales are like so important because in so many of them you know the one of the characters will be given a a special gift or they'll have a a special sort of power and part of um their their growth in the book will be learning how to use this this power well um, you know, and first of all in, in the typical story, you know, they will they will use the, the power for, for, for selfish ends and things go quickly wrong and their growth consists in starting to learn to use the power for the for the sake of for the sake of others. Um and in the same way it's it's true it's true of us that we have to kind of learn how to use ourselves well, um, how to live well for the sake of others and this is again a a distinction between um between mankind and and the rest and the rest of of creation um because animals don't have to think about how to live well um plants don't have to think about how to live well a rock doesn't have to think um and cannot think about how to be a good a good rock rather simply they are um and they might be a a very fine example of that specimen um, or they might have sort of lesser abilities, or be a, even a defective um, example of that specimen. But it's only it's only human human beings, um, who actually have to have to choose to fulfil their purpose. And we can look at that, and you know, and people will do they they will look at somebody who who's talented, who had great gifts, and say that was a real waste of a of a life we can look at somebody who's a who's a drug addict and we can say oh they're they're wasting their life away of drugs or somebody who's addicted to their phone like they're wasting their their time away on their phone we can see that to be fully human requires a certain intentionality um but we have to intend we have to aim at something um and so over the over the course of this book we shall we shall look at what we're what we're aiming at and uh, and and discuss more how we fit in to the, the rest of creation and how it relates to us, and uh, you know how we lost our uh, ability in in sin and the and the fall to be able to reach the divine destiny that we had, and how Christ comes into into this and gives us other helps and graces to enable us to once more to come into relation with God and to live in such a way that we might experience eternal happiness with him. Um, so I hope you found this uh, interesting. Um, I'm certainly looking forward to, to reading reading it again and uh, and benefiting uh, from it. I'd love to to hear any feedback that you have on uh, what we've been reading. Do get in touch and email us at info at uk.